Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel, and welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, DevOps to improve speed without increasing risk, with Bob Boulay, Head of Solution Engineering at OpsMX. Welcome, Bob. Welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here, and I appreciate you having me on. Um, you know, uh, today, uh, I wanted to, to talk to you, your, you and your audience about, um, again, that improving speed without increasing risk. And I think, um, you know, the, the cornerstone of, you know, sort of what I want to talk about is really, as DevOps professionals, how do we go about balancing uh, those those key those three key areas. How do I continue to go ahead and actually deliver software at velocity? Um, how do I manage risk, and how do I make sure I'm maintaining the quality of the code that's being delivered? Right. Um, you know, our, our position at OpsMX is this is sort of the key challenge, and you know, has been pointed out to me many times that you know managing any one of these things, or maybe even two of them is is fairly straightforward given all the tools that are at the the disposal of the devops engineer right but when you add that third that third piece it can get extremely difficult right so so, so what you're saying is two out of the three most people aim for or maybe even only one out of the three <laughs> but once you get all three things get much more complex much more difficult that's right so you know as an example um, if I may be able to deliver at velocity, right, uh, because I've got a great CD system, uh, I've got a repeatable process, but once I start to introduce things like policy checks or understanding whether or not the pipelines or the, the resulting code are in compliance with security policies, now suddenly I'm faced with a challenge. Do I have to stop and go check those things? Do I have to stop and maybe ingest some results from another tool in my tool chain? Uh, and now suddenly my velocity suffers, right? Um, and so these are the things that, you know, we're, we're working to help people automate, right? So where can I take those decision points and where can I automate them, right? It's the same thing with quality. Um, you know, if I want to go ahead and run some tests uh, and get a pass fail, great. But if I want to go ahead and actually make sure that I'm looking for any anomalous behavior in either my canary deploys or when I'm pressure testing code, right? Um, again, I could do that, but at what cost? You know, do I have to again decrease my velocity because I've got to get someone to take a look at the logs, take a look at the metrics, and figure out whether or not there's an issue? Or can I automate that process and only be dealing with exception handling, right? So the typical release just, you know, if everything's good, can just breeze on through. Okay, so what I've heard, I heard you use the word automate like 100 times in the last couple seconds. Yes. Um, so um, velocity, we're, most of us, because I come from DevOps background as well, before it was DevOps, it was a buildmeister and configuration manager, right? Sure. Those are the yeah. old terms, right? Sure. Automation was key on our pipeline and we got the velocity out of it. I love how you're saying these additional checks um, on risk, which includes security, right? Mm -hmm. We can automate those too. We don't need a person in the middle always, right? Yep. Uh, run, running these things. So I'm hearing automation is probably the most important thing to keep that velocity up while increasing um, these other two pillars, risk and uh, quality. 
Absolutely. And and, and, and in my humble opinion, it's the only way to do that, right? So if I don't have automation as I'm sort of making those decisions, and and quite frankly, especially when it comes to things like security, where I've invested in tools that are doing the heavy lifting, right? I have Black Duck to make sure that I'm license compliant and I'm looking at open source vulnerabilities. I have check marks. I have, you know, Aquasec or Coverity, right? And so it's the results of those things that my pipeline needs to consume and make decisions on. And I don't necessarily need a human to do that. I know what the data is and I know what a pass fail criteria is. What I lack is the mechanism to be able to go ahead and ingest that data and then ultimately look at that result and then either move on, right? Or stop. And you know, uh, and in 90, 99% of the cases I'm able to move on. So that's interesting because that to me sounds like a log aggregator mm-hmm. plus, um, and we know the logs have some status in there. So I need a log reader on the log aggregator, and then some status that tells me, yeah, I can move forward or not. Is that sound, I mean, is it that yeah. simple? It's it's close. It, I, I like to think of it more as, a, so, so there's log aggregation. I, I like to think of it as more of a data aggregation, which is probably the same thing, right? Um, but I think, you know, by being able to go out and, and grab the results from the various tools in the tool chain, and then having a mechanism like a policy manager that ultimately says, this is what I was expecting from Black Duck. This is what I was expecting from Checkmarks. Did I get it, right? In a binary, yes or no. And if I did, great, everything moves forward. If I didn't, stop the pipeline and let's go notify someone that someone needs to look at this, right? Um, right. Don't, yeah, and, don't let something continue on. Right. Exactly. Whereas, whereas today... There's a built-in stop to your pipeline, especially if you're in a highly regulated environment. And, you know, of course, um, you know, nobody got promoted for showing up on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. So people, you know, <laughs> no, want to make sure that that, that that doesn't happen. And so, you know, uh, what ends up happening is people will, will build in uh, manual circuit breakers to their pipelines, right? And say, I need this person to go look at these bits of data before this thing can move on. And our opinion is, is that that is just not necessary. You should be able to make that decision automatically and only bring someone in in, in an exception case. An exception case. I, I, I totally agree with you there. All right. So I, I, I noticed we heard the word velocity. Let's talk about velocity a little bit more. Sure. We have seen a major shift from uh, delivery of applications on a weekly cadence or a monthly cadence to now we're talking hourly and things like that. And you guys have run some really interesting studies on the results of this, uh, which yes. are fascinating because everyone wants to release faster now. Yep. But what, what did you guys find? So, so, and I don't think it's going to be shocking to, to anyone here, right? To understand that as you try and move faster, uh, the failure rate goes up, right? So as I try and step on the gas and, and, and increase velocity, uh, again, I start to lose control uh, or I, I get blocked from increasing velocity, right? If I want to maintain control, but I start to lose some control over quality and um, you know the anomalous behavior that an application might be showing, uh, or I have to skip some of the risk checks in order to get to a place where uh, I'm going to be able to get to that level of velocity. And so as you start to balance all those three, the faster you try and move, the more apt you are to have a failure is, is really the, the, how it nets out. And I don't think, again, that's terribly surprising. Um, you know, I think it's, it's not, but it. you'd be surprised. I, I think it's somewhat surprising because we've heard for, for probably the last six or seven years, oh no, we need to be like the big boys and release every hour and it works fine. 
but it doesn't is what you're saying. Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, um, the tools exist to be able to do that, right? It's, it's so, you know, uh, I, I don't care if you're using Spinnaker or if you're using Argo or if you're using some other sort of continuous delivery tool, right? Um, when you try and move faster, uh, you inherently um, start to break things because again, you're ignoring some of those things that are core. So you have to, in order to get to that velocity. And that's, you know, as DevOps professionals, I think we all feel the pressure because the time it takes to get an idea from the whiteboard out to where it's to the edge where it's adding value to your customers, there's a tremendous amount of pressure on people yeah. to get to that place, right? And, um, you know, as we look at these things, nobody wants code sitting on the shelf, right? Where, we're, you know, everybody's moving at a million miles an hour. And so, um, again, I think, you know, ignoring those other two pillars to get to velocity is is sort of what people end up doing. And that's where things start to break. And it we used to play this little trick um, when our our test cycle, our test stage was 24 hours on this one product that we were releasing. And we had a, a grid. So we had a thousand machines running these tests. And to speed things up, we had to run them on several different platforms. To speed them up, we took our two most popular platforms, ran the test in opposite directions. So when we got halfway through, we said, that's probably good enough to move to the next stage. And then we can continue to finish. Um, so we were taking risk in order yep. to do that, right? Because yep. we were yep. saying it's probably good enough. So I, I see the pressure and I felt the pressure myself. But what you're saying is we've got to be very careful of that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, I think, you know, what it boils down to is um, you have three masters to serve here. And if you're not serving all three of them in that, that's velocity, risk and quality. And if you're swallowing some of those risks and saying, you know what, we're going to take a chance. We're going to hope that things work out. Um, and, and so I can go back to the business owner or the product owner and say, Hey, I can turn these things around. I can't get this out on a nightly or, or an hourly basis. Right. Um, that that's inherently dangerous, right? It's inherently dangerous. And eventually, uh, it will catch up with you. Uh, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, and again, I think my, my view of the world is if you add the right automation, it's not and listen, it, the world you know, the problem, all problems don't go away with automation, automation, automation. But if you're strategic about where you put that automation and you, you know, sort of accept the fact that you are, you only want humans dealing with exceptions, you have a much better shot at looking at, you know, from the big picture, that ability to get to go from that daily to that, that hourly uh, to that, you know, sort of on demand release cycle uh, without, you know, sort of, again, inheriting or, or swallowing those risks. Um, and that's where it, the, the automation piece of this and the decision pieces come in to make sure that you're, you're, you know, sort of not taking those chances. Okay. So help me out a little bit. Where in my pipeline um, would I find these, these points uh, where I do have problem, where exceptions could arise or where I could have automation mm -hmm. that could help me, right? Because I, I understand if the system sends an email and the guy's out on vacation or, you know, or the email is slow and now we've got a five hour delay. There's a whole bunch of things. So what areas do you find where we can do the automation and we only handle the exception cases? 
Yeah, so so there's there's a handful of them here. So I think it starts with um, uh, you know, sort of continue what we call continuous verification, right? So um, as my code is moving through the pipeline, let's say I make a stop at uh, a test and dev or QA server, and I deploy it there, uh, and then I I fire up a bunch of scripts uh, that are going to ultimately give me a pass fail, right? Now, if they give me a pass, great, I'm off to the races. However, um, there is a piece in there that that I think you know we're advocating that people take is also looking below the surface, right? So if I get a binary pass fail from my test scripts, but I haven't looked for any anomalous behavior in the logs and metrics while those tests were running, right? Um, you know, I could get a pass. Now, most of the time, you know, when you see anomalous behavior and it causes a failure, your test scripts will catch that. But what if your test script, if the end result is that it passes the test, but you miss the fact that it generated uh, a certain type of log message that you haven't seen before, or one of the metrics that is key to performance was out of whack, was using more memory, was using more CPU, was doing a bunch of stuff that you weren't expecting compared to a baseline for that application, right? So that's the the quality piece that we talk about. And, and one of the reasons why people tend to swallow that risk is because it's very labor intensive. Like I, I'm not gonna pay someone to sit there and parse through a bunch of logs, right? I don't know, I've done plenty of that in my career. Well, yeah, but it's probably <laughs> been in reaction to a problem, right? It's oh, probably yeah. been in reaction. Yeah. Now, you don't wanna be in a position where you're doing that without knowing whether or not there's going to be a problem. That's yeah, a huge investment, absolutely. right? Yeah, it is. Uh, and so that's where I think, you know, continuous verification comes in. And if we can take that and say, instead of a three or four hour uh, endeavor to check to make sure there isn't any material anomalous behavior, and I can get that down to, you know, uh, a, a five second or an eight second or a 10 second, you know, sort of, hey, I didn't see anything that I haven't seen before. Go ahead and move Click. ahead. Right? Yeah, I got uh, it. You move ahead. Now, the next piece is, you know, around, you know, all those tools that you're using in, uh, you know, your, your security team and your compliance team has said, you've got to make sure that you're using Black Duck. You've got to make sure that you're using Tool X, right? And now, how do we get it so that those one can control the pipeline, right? So if there's a problem, we can stop it. But I don't want to stop it as a matter of course. I don't want to stop and then send an email out to bill and jill and say hey guys come in here and look and check these things out and let us know when you're ready before right? i let it go forward yeah. yeah i want to say i want to interpret that result and say this is what i was expecting i can move forward and then off i go right so that's the second piece of this right is is you know at runtime are are the tests that i'm running or the scans that i'm running uh, or the other tools that i'm using uh, am i getting a result from them and can i automatically interpret those things um, the other piece is, is policy at a, at a slightly higher level, right? So if I'm a regulated industry, maybe I have certain policy checks that need to make against my pipeline at runtime. Or, uh, you know, if I'm in retail, something as simple as a blackout window. Like, I don't, I don't want to release software, um, you know, two, two weeks before Christmas, right? I'm not doing anything two weeks before Christmas, right? And so I want to be able to make sure that I automate those policy checks. I don't want to stop the pipeline and say, let me bring in another approver who can then look to say, okay, does this meet all the policies? I want to just blow through that. And again, exception handling only. I only want to stop when there's an exception. Yes, it's past five o'clock on a Friday. So this is stopped, right? Um, and so that's that's another area where I think we can we can help with that, that bit of automation. 
um, in terms of, you know, making sure we're removing as many of those human gates as we can to ultimately be able to, to, to assist in letting the pipeline flow through as long as we're not seeing anything. And, and by the way, it, it, it's worth saying that, you know, we don't want to suggest any compromise in these things, right? We can't afford to compromise because again, we're right back to where we started. Right. We're yeah. Risk we don't, we don't need to. Right. So um, this is really where I think we are, are advocating that there's a better way in terms of making sure that you can automate and interpret those results and then move the pipeline forward. Okay, so these automation tools and policies and things like that, are they reusable across multiple pipelines? Or am I going to have to special, you, you know what I mean? Because I, I don't, I, for, for me, I've always created a new pipeline from templates, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for each product delivery that I'm pushing out the door, because there's always something unique to it or, or something like that. Is that the right way to go? Or is it better to just have one pipeline that can handle lots of different products moving through it. I think I think you have to have flexibility and you have to be able to customize these things, right? Because I feel like every group, now there's going to be a master set of policies that get set or a master set of controls that get set at the at, at a sort of higher level, right? But I think my experience has been, especially in the larger enterprises where every group sort of works slightly different and has a different set of additional things, we'll call them, that influence the way they release software. As an example, you know, my stakeholders might be, and, and my, my, my software might be externally facing to my customer base versus another group who is actually, you know, developing internal tools. They have different sets of rules. And so one of the things that we like to do is we like to make sure that, um, we provide the ability to reuse these things, right? So those high-level policies for each pipeline that I'm creating, I don't have to go and create those policies and create them over again, again yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. It's just the stuff that's specific to my release cycle that I want to make sure that I can create and and ultimately implement as part of my pipeline processing. Does that make sense? It it does. So here's the here's the big question. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the philosophy. We've talked about some of the ideas. Does Ops MX now give me that ability to create those pipelines and to create the automation of analyzing logs and pass fail? Is that what OpX brings to the table? Absolutely, it is. And, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, one of the things that, that we're doing as, as the company evolves is really sort of uh, driving a, a stake in the ground or planting our flag around that, you know, sort of system of intelligence, right? And, you know, frankly, we, we needed to go to market with um, a CD tool. So we picked the best one that we knew, right, which was Spinnaker. However, that's not the limit of our vision, right? The limit of our vision is, is not, you know, just being able to do this for Spinnaker. The, the, the vision here is we're starting with Spinnaker, but we also know that there are plenty of people out there that are using Jenkins, that are using Azure DevOps, that are using all these other sort of CD tools that are out there in the market. And what we want to do is we want to be able to bring that commanding control layer uh, where you can make all these decisions, you can get visibility, you can automate all these things to all of these CD tools, right? So we want to be as CD agnostic as possible. Okay, so this is really interesting to me. You're going to leverage the CD part for the automation of the workflows, mm-hmm. but you're sitting on top of that to help make the automated decisions. That's is right. That, 
That's okay. right. Yep. So you you can basically sit on top of anything, and we're saying we're starting to see a weird thing happen in DevOps, where your repositories are now starting to have some of the workflows in the repositories themselves. Yes. Right, which is driving me just a little bit batty. Right, I think <laughs> ooh, outside of the scope, but you know I understand they're competing, but I like how you guys have said we're going to help you with the automate with the gates, yep. the decisions to move forward. We're going to do our best to show how how to do that in an automated way. Yeah, and I think I think you know from our perspective, um, you know we look at us ourselves as you know uh, the sort of Campbell soup model, right? You know Campbell soup started with condensed tomato soup, and the next thing you know they were doing condensed vegetable and condensed this and that. We want to. We're starting with Spinnaker. You know, we're, we're targeting you know Jenkins next, and then we're going to be opportunistic around those CD tools where we can insert those gates. We can uh, uh, give you the ability to do that automated continuous verification uh, and make that that intelligence layer completely agnostic. Uh, and I think that's really where we want to head because we've, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you how many situations I've been in where I've talked to uh, potential customers of ours and and you know. Um, they'll say to me, hey, look, Bob, you know, I just invested a bunch in, you know, getting Jenkins to do all of my CD work, right? And it's, I'm not going to go and tell my boss now that that was a mistake. I, I don't want to tear all that down. And it wasn't a mistake, to be honest with you. They're moving in the right direction. They're, they're automating and creating those workflows no matter how they need to. It's, I want to be able to bring that, that layer of intelligence over that, those, those pipelines to say, I've now introduced a policy manager and I'm now... Uh, you know, aggregating all the data from the other tools so we can evaluate it here and allow you to make those automated decisions. That's the exciting part for me. And I think uh, for the team here at OpsMX is to be able to enable that. Now you use the word intelligence. Are you guys using artificial intelligence when, is it learn, is your system learning from the interaction with DevOps guys that are making decisions at first? Or do I have to go and code all these decisions in, in the engine itself? So right now, um, the, what we're doing, we're using machine learning in a, in a very small part of the tool, but it's growing, right? Um, and so right now, what we're doing is in our, our continuous verification or our anomaly detection, what we're doing is we're using machine learning to understand sort of what is a baseline for this particular application versus what is anomalous behavior, right? And we have a supervised learning model where a DevOps professional, when we spit out, hey, we found these five log clusters that we haven't seen before, the DevOps professional or the engineer or the product owner can come in and say, actually, these are expected in this context. And I can suppress those things and the model learns from that suppression, right? And says, I'm not eliminating, as an example, a null pointer exception for all time. I'm, I'm eliminating the null pointer exception that you've told me in this context, the logs that are, are, are to the left and to the right of it. And in the context of this application, that's what I, I know I don't need to worry about anymore. Now, are, can you guys track when someone has said, because this goes to a major attack that we saw um, a couple of years ago, and we're only seeing the ramifications of now, mm -hmm. um, where a DevOps intern let a new library come in to the workload which was a Trojan horse. Mm -hmm. And is there a way in your system to go back and say, I can trace back to where this exception was allowed and who allowed it? Yes, we, we can. Oh, so that's, that's, the, see, that's awesome. That gives me auditability, yes. which is key. And that's, 
that's the next piece of this, right? Where I think uh, is really exciting is that level of audibility and creating that system of record, right? So that that exception would be documented, right? Uh, we'll know who made that that change because again, we've got a complete audit log of everything that's happening, um, and we're able to go ahead and actually show you that audit log, um, and you can trace that stuff back. And again, that goes back to you know something that we feel anyway is is sort of an underserved function in that in that CD market, right? Where I don't want to go diving around in logs of various tools to go figure this stuff out. I want a system of record that tells me. Who approved an exception? Who approved the, the gate? Or if the gate was automatically approved, how did it get automatically approved? Um, you know, give me everything. Tell me what artifact was deployed. Um, you know, what was that artifact based on? What image, what base image was used? So all those things are collected. And I think our, 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 our you know, not only are we just, you know, giving you that command and control, but that visibility or that, that sort of auditability of sort of what was done and when. I was going to say, visibility is a key aspect to this. And I like when, when you guys showed me the demo and all that stuff, I said, wow, I can now see my whole pipeline, right? Every aspect, even if it's outside of Jenkins or Spinnaker or whatever, I can see the whole, the whole thing as, as one entity now. And I can kind of monitor uh, what's going on. Um, and and your stuff will run. It doesn't matter where it runs. It could be in the cloud, on prem. It it's it really doesn't. That's the beauty of it, right? And and, and yeah. you know, I think um, you know, one of the other pieces that we've we've recently developed is uh, from the visibility perspective is where we're sucking all the information with regard to the various environments that are in the CD tool, and then giving you a, a sort of a map of what's deployed where so this is the current version that's in my this is the series of microservices that are currently in my qa to, uh on my qa server this is what's on staging this is what's in production uh and then for any one of those things i can drill in and get a historical view and then i can actually click on any given release and all of the audit information is right there at my fingertips here are the gates that passed here's all the things that were happening during that release okay so you're giving me traceability in the process flow which is great can you also give me, because um, this is a, a big problem that we're seeing today, and we're going to see more of it, I'm sure, supply chain. Can, can I know what went into this build from you guys, or do I have to rely more on some of the other tools to do that? No, uh, you know, one of the things that we're doing, and we're starting to do this now, uh, we're, we're capturing the um, the the actual artifacts, right? Um, but one of the things that we're working on is the efficacy of those artifacts, right? So where did it come from? Um, you know, I'm now plugging into Git so I can see for that particular artifact what lines of code had changed since the previous uh, the previous build. Um, if I want to, you know, plug into uh, some of the change management. So if, if I'm using JIRA or ServiceNow where some of these things are documented that are associated with this. So we're starting to work on the efficacy of those artifacts and sort of the, the lineage, I guess you could call it in terms of where they came from, how they got there, uh, who was associated, who was responsible, right? So that's sort of the next frontier that we're working through. Oh, that that's awesome. Because I would love to see the ability to, to have an application that I deliver and someone say, I need to know that I need to know the heritage of this application. It's secure supply chain, basically. And you can just print out a manifest that deals all the way down yep. the list. 
That's 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 the that you know, our CTO I, wants to do that. That's that's the dream. I right? think we're headed there. I, yep. I really do, especially with some of these latest attacks on the DevOps pipeline. I think we're going to need it. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned, um, you know, sort of how this is deployed. I, I think uh, one of the other things that I'm excited about anyway is, um, you know, using uh, our agent based technology. So, you know, we have a SaaS offering. We also have an on-prem offering. But I think um, without turning this into a commercial for the product, there's some really cool uh, agent-based technology that we're using now to actually be able to interact with, as an example, uh, those resources that sit behind your firewall. So we've got an agent that you can deploy that will act as a proxy to our intelligence layer so we can gather that data there. We don't have to worry about opening firewall ports or exposing it if you don't want to install it on-prem you can do that, right? Uh, the same thing with the cloud providers. I now can take an agent and deploy it um, inside of the VPC using say an EC2 instance. And I no longer have to sacrifice or chance putting my uh, my keys and secrets in a cloud-based application. Uh, this simply acts as a proxy. And so the piece that's authorized always remains inside of your VPC. Um, and so we're, we're really securing the way we're able to go ahead and gather that information as well. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I, I, I like the direction this is headed. I do think um, the DevOps um, industry as a whole is in for a shakeup around security and auditability. Um, we've kind of been flying by the seat of our pants for two decades now. I pretty yeah. much. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's the black art of DevOps, right? We've talked about that before on the podcast. Um you have given us a lot of really great information that I think is going to help a lot of people. Excellent. Well, I, I'm happy to do it. And like I said, I'm, uh, we've got a lot of cool stuff. So I'm hoping that uh, that's in the pipeline. So I'm hoping you'll have me back. Oh, absolutely. Hey, thanks a lot, Bob. Thanks for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you liked our episode, go ahead and give us five stars on your favorite podcast or video streaming site. You can also find out more on embracingdigital.com. Until next time, keep moving forward and do something wonderful.